0: Welcome to Monsters and Mixers, the spine-chilling podcast guaranteed to quench your thirst for all things spooky and one thing drinky. Can't get enough of paranormal or true crime stories? Then this is the place for you. We are your hosts, Amy and Emma, and each episode will feature a new story and a new cocktail recipe to help calm your nerves while you listen. So grab your ingredients, pull the covers up tight, and prepare to be terrified by tales of the darkness among us. Welcome back to Monsters and Mixers. We are your hosts. I'm Amy. And I'm Emma. We are keeping Halloween alive a little longer this year by bringing you some more terrifying tales that are a little Halloween
1: related. Um, More specifically, in today's episode, we are bringing you some horrifying true stories that happened on Halloween. Some stories that try to explain some Halloween
0: traditions.
1: Another cryptid corner. And finally, the story of a haunted mansion. And to help you get through the terrifying tales, we will be making candy corn martinis. So, pour yourself a
0: martini, pull the covers up tight, and get ready to meet some of the monsters among us.
1: The martinis, we had one when we went... I feel like my glasses is cracked. Nope, <laughs> we went bar hopping on Friday and we, we had we tried a candy corn martini and it was quite delicious. Yes, this we haven't tried yet. For those
0: of you who are keeping up at home, you need some vodka. We used caramel,
1: salted caramel. Well, it might have just been caramel. I'm salted caramel. But they recommend whipped cream and vodka. We didn't have that, so we're hoping. To and then it. go. it's pineapple juice, grenadine, and you can top it with whipped cream. You don't have to, but. It's really pretty. It makes it look like a candy corn if Super you top it with whipped cream. All right, so we're going in. This Cheers. will be our first drink. Cheers.
0: Oh my god, that's so freaking good. Mm.
1: I love pineapple juice. Anything. So it does taste like a pineapple upside down cake. Yeah, tastes a lot like corn.
0: We made fun. Fun. We made one for our <laughs> fellow homie here, and he said it tastes like a pineapple upside-down cake, and I have to agree completely. I love pineapple, pineapple, pineapple <laughs> upside-down cake. I feel like it's an underrated dessert. We both love it, just can't say it. It's <laughs> a little bit of a tongue yeah. twister. So, sorry we're bringing you our Halloween episode late, but we really had quite the Halloween weekend. It was quite the festivities, yeah. and... he didn't really have much time to sit down and do this. No. We had some awesome Halloween costumes, though. You can see pictures on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter if you go and look. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Emma wanted to be Rocky, or not Rocky, Frank and from Rocky Horror Picture
1: Show. And I was magenta, and I felt very cute with my red hair, which yeah. I'm never doing in real life because it was not for me. <laughs> Bartended in a corset all night and literally got home and felt like my, all, every single one of my ribs was broken into 80 pieces. It was quite not comfortable. I've never taken taken a bigger breath in my life than when I took that off.
0: Could you imagine that being like your life back in the day when they wore those every single day? There are people
1: still today that wear them every day, like under all of their clothes, which is
0: as waist trainers. Mm -hmm. Yeah, nope, not Mm
1: -hmm. for me. Nope, can't do it. My waist is not going to (laughs) be (laughs) trained. All right. So the first story that we are going to bring you is a true crime story that was. Or took place around Halloween time. And it is the story of the Candyman. So we've all heard stories throughout the years of poison candy and sickos who put razor blades in the treats to try and murder young kids. Um, If you didn't know, most of those are just made up to try and scare children into waiting until they get home before devouring their massive haul of Kit Kats. Um, I also think it's kind of like a weird news craze. Like a lot of parents try to like... It's weird. There was actually somebody posted a story about finding a needle needle in in their milky way. It's just like, and you've always heard stories about like people putting drugs instead of candy. Who is going to give their drugs away to kids (laughs) for free? Like, come on now. But however, in 1974, Timothy O'Brien learned the hard way that not all of these stories are fake. On October 31st, nineteen seventy four, Ronald Clark O'Brien took his two children along with a neighbor and his two children, trick or treating in Pasadena, Texas. After visiting an unoccupied home, the children grew impatient and ran ahead to the next house. Ronald O'Brien stayed behind, but eventually caught up with the group and showed them five twenty one inch Pixie sticks. They asked Pixie sticks. Big Pixie sticks. I can imagine the ones too. Mm-hmm. De- Plastic when he got them. -hmm. Yeah. At the end of the night, O'Brien gave each of his neighbors two children a pixie stick, and each of his children, Timothy and Elizabeth, one. When they got home, he gave the final one to a ten year old boy he recognized from church. Before bed, Timothy asked to eat some of the candy he collected, and according to Ronald, he chose a pixie stick. Timothy had trouble getting the powdered candy out of the straw, so O'Brien helped him loosen the powder. After tasting the candy, Timothy complained that it tasted bitter. O'Brien then gave his son Kool-Aid to wash away the taste. Timothy immediately began to complain that his stomach hurt and ran to the bathroom where he began vomiting and convulsing. O'Brien later claimed he held Timothy while he was vomiting and the child went limp in his arms. Timothy O'Brien died en route to the hospital less than an hour after consuming the candy. It's so sad, poor kid. Yeah. Timothy's death from poisoned Halloween candy raised fear in the community. Numerous parents in Deer Park and the surrounding area turned in their turned in candy their children got from trick-or-treating to the police, fearing it was laced with poison, which, understandably so. Mm -hmm. The police did not initially suspect O'Brien of any wrongdoing until Timothy's autopsy revealed that the pixie stick he had consumed was laced with a fatal dose of potassium cyanide. Four of the five pixie sticks O'Brien claimed to have received were recovered by authorities from the other children, thank God. None of whom had consumed the candy. The parents of the fifth child became hysterical when they could not locate the candy after being notified by the police. The parents rushed upstairs to find their son asleep, holding the unconsumed candy. Aw, what a sweet, like, (laughs) fell asleep with his little pixie stick in his hands. The boy had been unable to open the staples. It sealed the wrapper shut, which, first of all, weird. Yeah. Why are there staples? Why are there staples? All five of the Pixie Sticks had been opened with the top two inches, which was about 51 millimeters, refilled with cyanide powder and resealed with a staple. According to a pathologist who tested the Pixie Sticks, the candy consumed by Timothy contained enough cyanide to kill two adults, while the other four candies contained enough to kill three to four adults. Jesus Christ, that's a lot of stuff. Yeah, which explains why he immediately felt sick. Right. O'Brien initially told police that he could not remember which house he got the pixie sticks from. Police became suspicious because O'Brien and his neighbor had only taken their children to homes on two streets because it had been raining. Their suspicions increased after learning that none of the homes they visited had given out pixie sticks. After walking the neighborhood with police three times, O'Brien led them to the home where no one had answered the door. O'Brien claimed that he went back there before catching up with the group. He said the owner of the home did not turn the lights on, but did crack the door open and hand him five pixie sticks. First of all, one <laughs> adult is going to be like, oh,
0: hold on, kids. I'm going to go back and get you some
1: candy. Also, how creepy would that be? Right. Weirdo. Why, Why would, would you, you ever take either? that candy from anyone? So um, I'm imagining like the...
0: Why would an adult just be like, trick or treat?
1: My kids like <laughs> yeah. took off. I'm like imagining like the guy with the weird hand from... <laughs> Scary movie, just, like, sticking his hand out the door, like, here's your, some pixies. sticks. Here's your fixie sticks. <laughs> <laughs> like, what the, what the fuck? He claimed to have only seen the man's arm, which he described as hairy. Oh. Hot takes. Yeah. The home was owned by a man named Courtney Melvin. Melvin was an air traffic controller at William P. Hobby Airport and did not get home from work until 11 p.m. on Halloween night. Police ruled Melvin out as a suspect when nearly 200 people confirmed that he had been at work, which is quite the solid right. alibi. But did they check his arm for hair? <laughs> right. I'm sure his arm <laughs> was hairy. As their investigation progressed, police learned that Ronald O'Brien was over $100,000, uh, U.S. Dollars, which would be equivalent to about $520,000 U.S. Dollars in 2020 in debt and had a history of being unable to hold a job. In the 10 years preceding the crime, O'Brien had held 21 jobs, which Not very dependable. No. At the time of his arrest, he was suspected of theft at his job at Texas State Optical and was close to being fired. His car was about to be repossessed. He had defaulted on several bank loans and the family home had been foreclosed on. So he is going through it. Police discovered that O'Brien had taken out life insurance policies on his children in the months preceding Timothy's death. You guys got to be smarter than this. Stupid criminals. So many times that happens where like... Someone's spouse will randomly die, and then they're like, Oh, um, by the way, yesterday our life insurance policy was changed tremendously. I just up to $5 million. (laughs) Like, what the hell? Uh, One month before Timothy's death, O'Brien took out additional $20,000 policies on both of his children. And I'm sorry, but taking out policies on your children is weird anyway. Yeah, that's weird. It's like opening a credit card in your kid's name. The various policies total approximately $60,000. O'Brien's wife maintained that she did not know about the insurance policies on her children's lives. Police also learned that on the morning after Timothy's death, O'Brien had called his insurance company to inquire about collecting the policies he had taken out on his son. Ugh. Yeah, that's it's pretty, pretty gross. After learning that O'Brien had visited a chemical supply store in Houston to buy cyanide shortly before Halloween 1974, um, he left without purchasing anything after learning that the smallest amount available to purchase was five pounds. Oh my God, that's a lot of. Why is that? For uh, why sale? are you allowed to buy that? I'm gonna doubt that you're still allowed to buy that in 1974. Five must have pounds
0: been one- of cyanide. How many rats are they trying to kill, yeah. or people? Forces.
1: There- what the hell? <laughs> like, I don't know. Uh, police began to suspect that Ronald O'Brien had laced the candies with poison in an effort to kill his children to collect on their life insurance policies, which is a pretty good conclusion to come to. Right. They believed he gave the other children poison candy in an effort to cover up his crime. Police repeatedly questioned O'Brien, but he maintained his innocence. Although police never discovered when or where O'Brien bought the poison, he was arrested for Timothy's murder on November 5, 1974. He was indicted on one count of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder, and he entered a plea of not guilty to all five counts. His trial began in Houston on May 5, 1975. During the trial, a chemist who was acquainted with O'Brien testified that in summer of 1973, O'Brien contacted him asking about cyanide and how much would be fatal. Jeez. He the dumbest criminal to ever live. A chemical supply salesman also testified that O'Brien had asked him how to purchase cyanide. Friends and coworkers testified that in the months before Timothy's death, O'Brien showed an unusual interest in cyanide and spoke about how much it would take to kill a person. O'Brien's sister-in-law and brother-in-law testified that on the day of Timothy's funeral, he spoke of using the money from Timothy's insurance policy to take a long vacation and buy other items.
0: What a sociopath.
1: It's feeling a little Scott Peterson. I'm
0: sorry. If your friend or family or acquaintance is asking lots of weird questions about how much of any drug it would take to kill someone, maybe you might want to tell someone.
1: Just like a random hyperfixation on chemicals. Right,
0: on the same one.
1: Yeah. A little odd. Sorry. I mean, the first thing I would think is like, oh, he's suicidal. Maybe I should make sure he's okay. As a chemist, you should probably be like, yeah, maybe I shouldn't tell this man. Right. (laughs) Oh. As well, his wife rejected the claim that Timothy chose the pixie sticks, stating that O'Brien had, in fact, forced him to choose the sticks, which is
0: horrible. So sad.
1: O'Brien continued to maintain his innocence. His defense mainly drew upon the decades-old urban legend concerning a, quote, mad poisoner who hands out Halloween candy laced with poison or needles or candy apples with razor blades inserted. These stories have persisted despite the fact that there are no documented instances of strangers poisoning Halloween candy. The case and subsequent stil- trial garnered national attention in the press dubbed O'Brien the Candyman. On June third, 1975, a jury took 46 minutes That's not very long. The fast deliberation to find O'Brien guilty of capital murder and four counts of attempted murder. The jury took 71 minutes to sentence him to death by electrocution. Shortly after he was convicted, his wife filed for divorce. She later remarried, and her new husband adopted her daughter, Elizabeth. On March 31, 1984, shortly after midnight, O'Brien was executed by lethal injection at the Huntsville unit. In his final statement, O'Brien maintained his innocence, stating that he felt the death penalty was wrong. He added, I forgive all, and I do mean all, those who have been involved in my death. God bless you all, and may God's best blessings be always yours. During the execution, a crowd of 300 demonstrators gathered outside the prison uh, cheering, (laughs) cheering, (laughs) uh, trick-or-treat. Yeah. Others showed anti-death penalty demonstrators with candy. Showered them. Showered,
0: Yeah. So that was quite the sight, throwing candy at people.
1: Yeah. I always think that's kind of, like, animalistic uh, when people – I mean, I don't know.
0: He was a child murderer. Yeah,
1: and I'm not, like, defending him, of course, ever. But I always find it a little odd when people that have, like, nothing to do – with the case like stand outside knowing someone's like being sentenced to death and like throw a party it's kind of i think akin to back in the day when people would gather in the middle of town I mean, to someone's like getting be stoned, stoned or and, hanged, yeah, or hanged. Yeah. it's like very like barbaric to me
0: yeah i don't i don't care for it
1: i mean i i could understand if it were your family and, and that person to kill yeah. them but, but like the thing is most of the time their family is not not right. they cheering because yeah. they're losing not one but two people yeah, it's crazy. Well, that's a pretty fucked up story. <laughs> yeah. And so if you ever hear about razors and I drugs in your candy, that's pretty much where that story originated. It's not quite the Candyman story that we're used to from the
0: movies, no. but um, equally as disturbing, I think. <laughs> I have, <laughs> yeah, I have something um, a little more lighthearted. It is the legend of Stingy Jack. And it is the story of the origination of the jack-o'-lantern. So, long ago in a small village in Ireland lived a drunkard named Stingy Jack. He wasn't held in very high regard by the townsfolk. One evening, Satan overheard stories of the devious deeds of Jack and decided he must have this fellow's soul. Jack may have been stingy, but he was quite clever. When Satan came to collect his soul, he successfully made the case that the least Satan could do was allow him to have a final drink at his favorite pub. After which, Stingy Jack left Satan on the hook for the tab. (laughs) Jack suggested he turn himself into a coin to pay the bill, and they would be off on their journey to the underworld. Satan was fooled when Jack took the coin and put it into his pocket alongside a crucifix. Just happened to be carrying around a crucifix. Thereby trapping Satan in his pocket. The devil begged and pleaded, and only upon agreeing to leave Jack alone for 10 years was he released. Exactly 10 years later, Satan found Jack stumbling home from the pub. With a, savvy, with a heavy sigh, Sevy high. With a high, Jack looked at the devil knowing full well that he intended to drag him to hell. Jack made the request of Satan to climb a nearby apple tree to get him a final snack to eat before the journey southbound. Satan, apparently still not as clever as Jack, climbed the apple tree. While Satan was climbing the tree, Jack carved a cross into the trunk, thereby trapping Satan up in the tree. The devil begged and pleaded and only upon agreeing to never take Jack's soul to hell was he released. Many years later, when stingy Jack took his last breath and died, St. Peter refused him entrance into heaven for all of his evil deeds. Satan refused him entrance into hell due to their contract. In one final parting gift, Satan gave Jack an ember ablaze with hellfire. Alas, Jack was stuck roaming the earth with only a carved turnip, (laughs) or a pumpkin, glowing at the hellfire to light his way. When Stingy Jack ceased to be, Jack of the Lantern began. On Halloween night, keep an eye out for a restless wandering soul every time you see a jack-o'-lantern, for it may just be the hellfire glow from Jack's lantern.
1: So... That is where the jack-o'-lantern came from. I want to know what his evil deeds were, because I'm going to assume it's just the fact that he was a drunkard. <laughs> <laughs> I think so. It kind of stops. Poor guy. Way. He spent he a lot of time problem. with the pub. had a problem. And he didn't have any money. And... and he was stingy. I mean, yeah, I would have loved Satan with the tab, too. He's about to drag weird. me to hell. I'm not paying this. It's a pretty funny story, I think. All of this talk about hellfire has made me thirsty. So we are going to take a quick refill break and coming up on the other side of the episode is the Haunted Limp Mansion and Cryptid Corner. So stick around be right back.
0: Welcome back to the second half of our Halloween isn't over until we say it's over episode. <laughs> I, yeah, I don't want November to be here. I don't either. And I really am sad. so fast. Halloween happened way too fast. It's over too fast. I'm sad. i got to wait a whole other year. That makes you guys feel in the Halloween spirit. Our house is still decked out. We haven't taken it down yet. Probably will be
1: for yeah. a while too. I'm not very quick to take them down. I'm trading my vampires for a Christmas tree. And that's it. Yeah. I wonder if anyone out there decorates for Thanksgiving. What do you do? I know people like put fall decorations up, which would be like Thanksgiving. People put turkeys, turkey decorations. Probably scarecrows and pumpkins. But like, it's such a weird thing to decorate for.
0: Oh, you have people over, I guess. I mean, it's
1: cute to decorate your house for fall. It's just not really like a very decorative holiday. Yeah, I guess. I don't know.
0: Maybe we should try it next year.
1: We still have this month. (laughs) If you want to do it (laughs) this year, we can go back to Dollar Tree. Dollar Tree is the. No, they have nothing but Christmas right now. That's ridiculous. I'm
0: not ready yet, but I am ready to talk about the Haunted Limp Mansion in St. Louis, which is not too far from us. It is said to be one of the 10 most haunted places in America. Like I said, it's the Limp Mansion in St. Louis, Missouri. It continues to play host to the tragic limp family after all these years. Over the years, the mansion was transformed from the stately home of millionaires to office space, decaying into a rundown boarding house, and finally restored to its current state as a fine dinner theater, restaurant, and bed and breakfast. The Limp family began with Johann Adam Limp, who arrived in St. Louis from Eschwig, Germany, in 1838. Building a small grocery store at what is now Delmar and Sixth Streets, he sold common household items, groceries, and homemade beer. The light golden lager was a welcome change from the darker beers that were sold at the time. The recipe handed down by his father was so popular that just two years later, he gave up the grocery store and built a small brewery in 1840 at a point close to where the Gateway Arch stands today. If you're not familiar with St. Louis, you probably are familiar with the arch at the very least. Limp first sold his beer in a pub attached to the brewery, introducing St. Louis to its first lager. Before long, Limp found that the brewery was too small to handle both production and storage and found a limestone cave south of the city limits. The cave, which was located at the present day corner of Cherokee and Demonille Place, could be kept cool by chopping ice from the nearby Mississippi River and depositing it inside, providing perfect conditions for the lagering process to run its course. Limp's Western Brewing Company continued to prosper and by the 1850s was one of the largest in the city. In 1858, the beer captured first place at the annual St. Louis Fair. A millionaire by the time of his death, Adam Limp, died on August 25, 1862, and his son William began a major expansion of the brewery. He purchased a five-block area around the storage houses on Cherokee, above the loggering caves. In 1864, a new plant was completed at Cherokee Street and Carondelet Avenue. Carondelet. Come on, Miss New Orleans. It's Carondelet. I thought it was Carondelet. Carondelet. All right, Carondelet. Continually expanding to meet the product product demand, the brewery eventually covered five city blocks. I've actually been there; it's pretty cool. By the 1870s, the Limp family symbolized both wealth and power as the Limp Brewery controlled the St. Louis beer market, a position it maintained until Prohibition. In 1868, Jacob Fichter, William Limp's father-in-law, built a house a short distance from the Limp Brewery. In 1876, William Limp purchased it for his family utilizing it as both a residence and an auxiliary office. While the home was already impressive, Limp immediately began renovating and expanding
1: the 33-room house into a Victorian showplace. From the mansion, a tunnel was built from the basement through the caves to the brewery. When mechanical refrigeration became available, parts of the cave were converted for other purposes, including a natural auditorium and a theater. This underground oasis would later spawn a large concrete swimming pool with hot water piped in from the brewery boiling house and a bowling alley. At one time, the theater was accessible by way of a spiral staircase from Cherokee Street. By the middle 1890s, the Lint Brewery gained a a national presence after including... Oh my gosh, I can't talk. Introducing the popular (laughs) Falstaff beer, which is still brewed today by another company. The Limp Western Brewery was the first brewer to establish coast-to-coast distribution of its beer. At the time, he was building his own business empire. William Sr. also helped Pabst, Anheuser, and Bush get started, which are kind of big deals over here. here. (laughs) In the midst of this success, the Limp family experienced the first of many tragedies when Frederick Limp, William Sr.'s favorite son, oh my God. A little fucked up William <laughs> in heir, apparently died in 1901 at the age of 28. Frederick, who had never been in extremely good health, died of heart failure. That is an incredibly early age to die of heart failure. Indeed, The devastated William limp was never the same, beginning a slow withdrawal. He was rarely seen in public after his son's death. On January 1st, 1904, William's closest friend, Frederick Pabst also died, leaving William indifferent to the details of running the brewery. Though he still arrived at the office each day, he was nervous and unsettled. His physical and mental health began to decline, and on February 13, 1904, he shot himself in the head with a thirty-eight caliber Smith & Wesson. In November 1904, Limp Jr., William Limp Jr. took over as the new president of the William J. Limp Brewing Company. Inheriting the family business and a vast fortune, he and his wife Lillian began to spend the inheritance. Filling the house with servants, the pair spent huge amounts on carriages, clothing, and art. Lillian was a beautiful woman who came from a wealthy family herself. She and William Limp Jr. had married in 1899, and William J. Limp III was born on September 26, 1900. Before long, Lillian became known as the Lavender Lady because of her fondness for the color. In addition to her lavender attire and accessories, she went so far as to have her carriage horse, horse's harnesses dyed lavender. In the beginning, Will enjoyed showing off his trophy wife, but Will was a player. Born with a silver spoon in his mouth, he was used to doing and acting as he pleased. When William began to tire of his beautiful wife, he demanded that she must spend her time shopping. Allotting her $1,000 a day, which is Quite a lot of money back Especially the back then, yeah. He gave her an ultimatum that if she didn't spend it, she would get no more. I would have really liked for
0: somebody to right. tell me I have to spend <laughs> yeah, dollars a William. day.
1: You can be tired of me all you want. Although, I don't know.
0: In the meantime, Will was busy running the brewery during the day and pursuing all manner of decadent activities during the night. Holding lavish parties in the caves below the mansion, which are hella cool, by the way. He would bring in numerous prostitutes for the entertainment of his friends. Not so cool. Enjoying the swimming pool, the bowling alley, and the free-flowing beer, his friends who attended these lavish events were known to enjoy a high time in the earth below. Will shenanigans caught up with him when he sired his son with a woman other than his wife. Today, there is no official documentation that this boy existed. However, the rumors that this boy was hidden in the mansion attic for his entire life have been prevalent over the years. According to the St. Louis historian Joe Gibbons, When he interviewed a former nanny and a chauffeur who worked at the mansion long ago, both of them verified that the boy did exist and was housed in the attic quarters so that that also housed the servants' quarters. Spawned from Will's philandering with either one of the many prostitutes or a mansion servant, the boy was born with a severe deformity. A total embarrassment to the family, the boy was hidden away from the world in order to cloak the limp's shame. Known today as the monkey Face boy, this unfortunate soul continues to show his presence at the Limp Mansion. Finally, William Jr. tired of his trophy wife and filed for divorce in 1908. Why she didn't take this step with all of his goings-on could be nothing more than a sign of the times. The court proceedings surrounding the divorce became a major St. Louis scandal, with all four St. Louis newspapers devoting extensive front-page coverage to the messy affair. The trial opened in February 1909 to crowds that flocked to the courthouse each day to witness the drama of tales of violence, drunkenness, atheism, and cruelty. Virtually ignoring William's decadent activities, Lillian almost lost custody of William Limp III because of a photograph that was presented at the trial that showed her smoking a cigarette. Jesus. You know, the scandal. <laughs> in the end, she retained custody of their son but soon retired from the public eye. The only time that she was ever seen wearing anything other than lavender was on the final day of her divorce proceedings when she appeared entirely in black before the judge. Oh, the drama! With the divorce, Will's troubles had only just begun. In 1906, nine of the large breweries in the St. Louis area had combined to form the Independent Breweries Company, creating fierce competition that the Lent Brewery had never faced. In the same year, Will's mother died by cancer on April 16th. Though the brewery's fortunes were continually declining, the Limp Mansion was entirely remodeled in 1911 and partially converted into offices for the brewery. At the same time, William allowed the company's equipment to deteriorate without keeping abreast of industry innovations. By World War I, the brewery was just barely limping along. Of words. Yeah, ha-ha. <laughs> William soon built a country home on the Merrimack River to which he increasingly retreated, and in 1915, he married a second time to Ellie Lindbergh. The widowed daughter of the late St. Louis brewer Casper Kohler. Then prohibition came along in 1919. The individual family members were already wealthy, so there was little incentive to keep the brewery afloat. For a time, Will hoped that Congress would repeal prohibition, but finally gave up and closed the limp plant down without notice. The workers learned of the closing when they came to work one day and found the
1: doors shut and gates locked. On March 20th, 1920. Elsa Lemp Wright, William's sister, the wealthiest heiress in St. Louis, shot herself just like her father had years before. Elsa was said to have been despondent over her rocky marriage. Liquidating the assets of the plant and auctioning the buildings, William Jr. sold the famous Limp F- Falstaff logo to brewer Joseph Grzydek for $25,000 in 1922. The brewery buildings were sold to the International Shoe Company for $588,000, a fraction of its estimated worth of $7 million in the years before Prohibition. That is insane. That is a lot, yeah. After the end of the Limp's brewing di- brewing dynasty, William Jr. slipped into a depression. Acting much like his father, he became increasingly nervous and erratic, shunning public life, and often complaining of ill health. On December 29, 1922, William shot himself in the heart with a .38 caliber revolver in the very same building where his father had died 18 years before. William II took his life on the main level of the mansion just inside the entrance to the left. At the time of his death, this room served as his office. He was interred in the family mausoleum at Bellefontaine Cemetery in the crypt just above his sister, Elsa. William's brothers, Charles and Edwin, had long ago left the family business, so with William Jr. gone, it seemed that the Limp Empire had finally ended. Edwin had entered a lo- into a life of seclusion at his estate in Kirkwood, Missouri in 1911. I don't say that, I can't say that I blame him. Charles no. had never been involved in the brewery and had chosen to work in the banking and real estate fields instead. In 1943, yet another tragedy occurred when William Blimp III died of a heart attack at the age of 42. Brother Charles eventually remodeled the mansion back into a residence and lived in the house along with two servants and the illegitimate child of his brother William. Charles, too, became an odd figure as he grew older. Developing a morbid fear of germs, his obsessive-compulsive behavior included wearing gloves at all times to avoid bacteria and constantly washing his hands. I'm going to say that this family had some deep mental illness that was not diagnosed at the time because they didn't do that. It was during this time that William's illegitimate child, now in his 30s, died at the mansion. He was buried on the Limp Cemetery plot with only a small flat marker with the word Limp. Shortly after the monkey-faced boy's death, Charles became the fourth member of the Lemp family to commit suicide. First, he shot his beloved Doberman Pinscher in the basement of the mansion. Then, climbing the staircase to his room on the second floor, he shot himself. Charles was discovered on May 10th, 1949, by one of his staff, still holding a .38 caliber Army Colt revolver in his right hand. Though the dog was shot in the basement, he was found halfway up the stairs. Oh,
0: that's so sad.
1: Of the Limps, only Edwin Limp, who had long avoided the life that had turned so tragic for the rest of his family, remained. He was known as a quiet, reclusive man who had walked away from the Limp Brewery in 1913 to live a peaceful life on a secluded estate in Kirkwood, Missouri. Good for Edwin. Edwin passed away, quietly of natural causes, at age 90 in 1970. According to Edwin's last wishes, his butler burned all of the paintings that the Limps had collected throughout his life, as well as priceless Limp family documents and artifacts. These irreplaceable pieces of history vanished in the smoke of a blazing bonfire. Can't say I blame him. No. The Limp family line died out with him, and the family's resting place can now be found in beautiful Bellefontaine Cemetery. After the death of Charles Limp, the mansion was sold and turned into a boarding house. Along with the nearby neighborhood, the building began to deteriorate, and the haunting tales began. Residents complained of ghostly knocks and phantom footsteps being heard throughout the house. As these stories spread, tenants were hard to find for the boarding house and it continued to decline to a near flop house status. However, in 1975,
0: the old mansion was saved when Dick Pointer and his family purchased it. Immediately, they began to renovate the building, turning it into a restaurant and inn. Workers within the house often told stories of apparitions, strange sounds, vanishing tools, and a feeling of being watched. Frightened by the hauntings, many would leave the job site, never to return. Since the restaurant opened, staff members have reported several strange experiences. Again, apparitions appear and then quickly vanish. Voices and sounds come from nowhere, and glasses were often lift off the bar, flying through the air by themselves. On other occasions, doors are said to lock and unlock by themselves. Lights inexplicably turn on and off on their own free will, and the piano bar often plays when no one... Uh, um, when no one is near the piano bar, I think maybe the piano in the bar said to be haunted by several members of the lind family. There are three areas of the old mansion that have the most activity, the stairway to the attic and what the staff refers to as quote, the gates of hell in the basement. It is in this area of the basement that used to be entrance to the caves running below the mansion and the brewery in all, There are nine identifiable spirits at the Limp Mansion, including the family dog. And that's been confirmed by multiple mediums who've gone in over the years and done some um, investigation. The attic is said to be haunted by William Jr.'s illegitimate son. And I hate to keep referring him to like this, but as the monkey face boy. And as we stated before, that was the poor kid who was born with some type of deformation. And he spent his entire life locked up in the attic of the Limp Mansion. Strange occurrences are often witnessed on this third floor level of the mansion. The face of the boy has regularly been seen from the street peeking from the small window of the mansion. Ghost investigators have often left toys in the middle of the room, drawing a circle around them to see if the objects have been moved. Consistently when they return the next day, the toys are found in another location. Zeke is also said to hide on the staircase that leads up to the roof and make a tapping sound. He also plays with toys that the ghost hunters and hotel guests have left for him. Zeke was the monkey face boy. Oh, you know it. that was his name? Because later on I was able to find it and I didn't go back and insert it into all the other...
1: Who found that? Because um, like, there was no documentation yeah, of him I even don't know. being alive.
0: Maybe that was the older um, gentleman the, that burned the everything. Maybe me, he finally said in. it, yeah. Shout out to him, by the way. Yeah, for not being a shit bum like the rest. In the downstairs women's bathroom, which was once William Jr.'s personal domain and held the first freestanding shower in St. Louis, many women have reported a man peeking over the stall. On one such occasion, a woman emerged from the bathroom, returning to the bar, and stated to the two men that she was with, I hope you got an eyeful. However, the two men quickly denied ever having left the bar, for which the bartender verified. This ghost is said to be that of the womanizing William Jr. Ugh. He's even a creepy Yeah. In William Limp Sr.'s room, guests have often reported hearing someone running up the stairs and kicking at the door. When William killed himself, William Jr. was known to have run up the stairs to his father's room and finding it locked, began to kick the door in to get at his his father, much like the ghost does. Several years ago, a part-time tour guide reported hearing the sounds of horses outside the room where William Limp Sr. had kept his office. However, when the tour guide looked through the window, nothing was there. This area north of the mansion is now used as a parking lot, but it was once used as a tethering lot for horses. So we had ghost dogs, ghost horses. The mansion has been featured in a number of magazine articles and newspapers and now attracts ghost hunters from around the country. Today, it features a bed and breakfast with rooms restored in period style, a restaurant featuring fine dining, and a mystery dinner theater. Tours are also available at the mansion. And during Halloween time, they um, they do a haunted house like a
1: you know that's blue. the brewery
0: the limp brewery and the limp mansion are right by each other they it's are the same mm-hmm. where's that yeah this, are you the, sure? what they're talking about the tunnels underneath the house is where we went to the haunted house Close, the tunnels underneath the brewery the cave yeah but it's it's right by there they're yeah. all by each other. Right? right am i
1: right i think i'm right i feel like the limp mansion is not by the limp brewery we will have to google that yeah while you read know. this i will like, okay
0: yeah. so there are some first hand stories there was a tour guide named melissa and um, she reported these stories. She said that she and her 14-year-old daughter had just finished checking all of the rooms to ensure there wasn't anyone else in the building before locking up. Right after they finished checking them all, they turned around and saw a bearded man wearing a tan coat walking down the hallway. They called out to him, but he kept walking and then just disappeared. She also said that they were in the attic where William Jr.'s son, Zeke, see, she, maybe she's the one that told me it was Zeke in her interview I saw her too was kept when, I'm sorry, let me start that. She also said that they were in the attic where William Jr.'s son Zeke was kept when something mischievously stole their keys and hid them. Her daughter had just set them down on a night table and they continued to straighten up the room to get ready for the tour. A few minutes later, they heard a rustling sound like someone was moving around in the room with them. Scared, they turned to grab the keys and leave the room. Only the keys were gone. They both ran out of the attic and returned later to find the keys right where they had thought they left in the first time. But they weren't there.
1: So, they're not directly next to each other. They're about three minute drive away. So, it's it's like right around the corner.
0: It's a really small, like, area right
1: there. Yeah, I love it. I love that area. Yeah, it's
0: a really cool haunted house if you live in the um, vicinity or you plan on being here next Halloween
1: to go. It's terrifying.
0: Yeah. You get to
1: actually, like, go down the spiral staircase. And it's into the caves, and it's cold, and like still very cavey, <laughs> very dark. And yeah, and it's also, a, by the way, very smart to put a brewery in a cave. Well, yeah, like if that's like the you need cold weather for, like consistent cold air for the type of beer that you're brewing. That is cut down electricity. Very smart. Not, I would not want to work there, but no, not that they seemed
0: to needed the money, but. That's a really sad story. I've meant to read about
1: the Limp family. For a long time, and I hadn't until. I wonder why so many Saturday. like heir families, and like they're just ravaged by tragedy.
0: I don't want to be, I don't want um, to slander the family, but a lot of early immigrants to the United States were, um, because they came from small villages, tended to do a lot of intermarriage, which would indicate like why they had so much depression and no. other mental illness, maybe a little too. Too close to family ties when they first came over. I don't know though. Afraid I mean, to say the word. They might be inbred. I <laughs> am kind of. I mean, little, I don't know little that.
1: Little
0: <clears throat> I don't know that that's true, but
1: well, yeah, It, would it did ex- immigrate it would ex- from Germany. It would explain the health problems. It would explain the mental problems. And there's a lot of like ancestral relationships in European culture in general. Yeah. So, especially
0: like, keep in that your
1: bloodline, clean. especially in that timeline. So, yeah. I mean,
0: just looking at the early heart failure and the other things, I would think that that might be. Might have something to do with it. Yeah, heart
1: failure at 28. That's <clears throat> that's pretty pretty, pretty crazy. Rough. Okay, right. so the cryptid we are talking about today is a very popular one, but one of my favorites. It is El Chupacabra. Yeah. So, in Latin American popular legend, a monstrous creature that attacks animals and consumes their blood is known as the Chupacabra. The name is derived from the Spanish words "chupar," which means to suck, chupar, and "cabra," which is goat, and can be translated directly to goat sucker. <laughs> <laughs> as a fearsome <clears throat> but probably non-existent creature, the chubacabra has been, been characterized as the southern equivalent of the Sasquatch. Kind of tiny, though, right? <clears throat> yeah, but I feel like they mean in like popularity. Mm. I would say that the most popular cryptid in America is definitely Bigfoot. Yeah. For sure. Um, Chupacabras were first reported in 1995 in Puerto Rico where they were blamed for attacks on goats, sheep, and other domestic animals, supposedly leaving uneaten carcasses that were drained of blood. Early reports described a creature that stood upright and resembled a large reptilian kangaroo with huge red eyes. I
0: don't like that. No.
1: No actual specimens were found and skeptics suggested that witnesses may have been influenced by the Hollywood science fiction horror film Species that came out in 1995. That is terrifying. Which features a monster of similar appearance. But other sightings were reported throughout the Americas and as far north as the United States. A different type of chupacabra was also reported in many of the same places. These chupacabras were smaller and stood upon four feet, more like a dog. They were generally canine in appearance, but hairless. Actual specimens were produced, but they were identified by biologists as coyotes, dogs, or canine hybrids. So they are just ugly-ass dogs? (laughs) Yeah. The animals owed their strange appearance to hair loss, resulting from Ah. mange and an infestation of the mite. Sarcop sarcoptus. I don't know. I didn't pay scabies. attention. And they had scabies, they had scabies. Yeah, <laughs> it was suggested that the canines attacked livestock because the debilitating effects of the infestation put wild prey out of their reach. Hold on,
0: so but they attacked them and drank their blood like because they had hair loss and scabies. Come uh, on. I mean,
1: yeah, a lot of the reports claim that like they would go out and their livestock would literally be fully drained of blood. Why, why would they not think vampire? I don't know. I don't know. I guess vampires don't typically go for animals, but yeah. In March, 1995, the creature was supposedly responsible for the deaths of eight sheep, completely drained of blood with three puncture wounds in each of their chests. So they had three each. So nine total. Oh no, I'm sorry. Eight, 24. Gotcha. Three
0: Three puncture puncture wounds. So each one of them had three puncture wounds in
1: their chest. Authorities attributed the killings to more conventional predators, but many locals suspected a satanic cult. Of course they did. They always did. Satanic panic, still around. By August, 150 similar livestock killings had taken place, and by the end of the year, the mysterious beast had reportedly killed more than 1,000 animals. Descriptions of the creature varied wildly. In the town of Canovanus, people described the creature as winged, swooping down on its prey, and caught... I'm sorry if I'm butchering these names. Caguas. K- Caguas. It was said to have hairy arms and red eyes, and by the end of nineteen ninety five, the most prevalent description was grey alien like creatures about three to five three to four feet tall that walk upright on their hind legs. Did they check to see if it had a pixie stick? Since it was hairy armed, it might be our suspect from the first story. <laughs> <laughs> by nineteen ninety six, reports of chubacabra attacks were widespread. They began in Miami and later in the southwest and Mexico. Either the creature had migrated or the stories had become so popular that reports of sightings and copycat attacks were being carried out here too, which yeah, tends to happen. This time, the creature looked dog-like but reptilian. Whether chupacabra exists or not, reports of bloodless murdered livestock persist, and to date, no satisfactory predator has ever been caught.
0: Yeah, I was wondering when they say they said it was a more conventional predator. I don't know of any conventional predators that... Put three puncture wounds in something's chest and drink
1: its blood. I have, yeah. I also have, like, some more recent sightings. So, this took place in February of 2017 in Victoria, Texas. On Highway 185 in Guadalupe Road in Victoria, Texas, a resident reportedly spotted a chupacabra. Following the tip of a crossroads today viewer, the news station went to the location and found an animal lying on the side of the road. It had, quote, the paws of a dog, but the body of a hyena. That's scary. Yeah. March 2017 in Olancha, Hernandez, Hondur- Honduras. <laughs> <Herandes>. <laughs> Honduras. Honduras. <laughs> Jesus.
0: Where' Harambe, Rest in peace.
1: Yeah. Hold on one
0: second. Emma lost her spot. Mm-hmm. That's what she gets for making fun of. Residents
1: of Las Aguas, Agujas and Olancha, Honduras, worried after finding a dead bull without eyes or a tongue. What the hell? According to La Tribuna, residents saw an ugly white animal prowling the pastures believed to be El Chupacapra.
0: This is escalating quite a lot. It went from just drinking blood, now it's snatching eyeballs and
1: tongues. May 2017, so 2017 was getting wrecked by the Chupacabra In Chaloma, Honduras, a creature had killed 35 animals in the Monterey de Chaloma a muni- uh, municipality in Cortes, Honduras. Res, residents feel oh my gosh, feared that the animal which disappeared as if by magic would eventually hurt humans, especially children. Nelly David Martinez saw it one day at twelve forty five AM after hearing a noise. Struck by fear, he was unable to move and couldn't get a good glimpse of the figure, but all the animals began to drop to the floor. Jeez little. <laughs> according to La Tribuna. May twenty seventeen, this took place in Argentina. Uh, for months people living in Charbonnier saw animals attacked. In May, a man took a photo of an animal that he described as a big bat like the size of an eagle that can attack horses and cows. I think that's my fan. Specialists on... Sur- no, he doesn't attack anything. Uh, spe- Specialists dismissed Chupacabra claims and insisted in, or instead said it was bats that were transmitting rabies to other animals.
0: That's a really... I mean, there are some really large bats. Oh maybe. my gosh.
1: Bats can be massive. Yeah. And owls and like there are huge birds in general. Terrifying. That's so scary. In June of 2017, this was in Ecuador, 59-year-old Casimiro Flores, that's an awesome name, believes the creature he fought off was the Tupacabra. One day, he heard a loud noise that sent chills up his spine. When he turned around, the about five foot seven man saw a creature which looked like a brown dog with pointed ears that reached his waist. Oh, wow. Yeah. Trapped by the animal which dragged him around, he grabbed a stone and threw it at the creature's forehead. After letting out a cry, it ran away. Aw, he hurt the chup- chupacabra <laughs> who was going to eat him and steal his eyeballs <laughs> right. and tongue. July 20, uh, 2017 in Riverside, California. Um, in mid-July, when Carrie Shuker's cat raced inside their home, he looked outside and saw, quote, the ugliest looking thing, staring at him about 80 feet away. With te- teeth jutting out in every direction, rippled skin, and a tail like a rat or a possum. Yeah. Sugar said it looked nothing like a coyote. It was also, quote, at least two feet or more longer than the biggest coyote you've ever seen. He is not the only one who spotted the creature in the Box Springs Mountain Territory. MJ Blunt, an early childhood educator, also saw the chupacabra that year. And she said, I thought, that is the strangest looking animal I've ever seen. She spotted it near her home. And she said it had the ears of a deer, a long snout, no hair. Tail like a rat, long hindquarters, and she said, "I thought it might be a sick coyote, a sick wolf, but it had too many different different characteristics from any of them." There's like some
0: giant, like wild animal <laughs> orgy going on, and all these animals are having like the ugliest friggin' offspring
1: ever, and they're drinking blood of sheep and yeah. terrorizing the neighborhoods. August 2017, this is in South Carolina, so we're making our way over a little bit. Nope, don't like it. While golfing one day at the Santee Cooper Country Club, Doug Stewart took a photo of an animal that some believed to be a chupacabra. On a Facebook post that went viral, Stewart said the animal was most definitely not a dog. But as commenters weighed in with their different theories, some believed that it was actually a coyote or a fox with mange. Which is very possible.
0: It is possible, I'm gonna
1: call bullshit on it, but <laughs> that's all I got.
0: Yeah, that's enough. Thanks for <laughs> bringing the chupacabra to the cryptid corner.
1: And there are pictures of things that these people claim that they saw. Um, they kind of look
0: like a mangy
1: werewolf when I looked this them up. One like a this really one is really skinny werewolf. This was on Houston. Ah, oh, I don't like that. That just looks like a dog with no hair to me. Oh, it's it, tiny. It looks
0: like the like in the werewolf movies when they're transitioning and they haven't got all their wolf hair yet.
1: Yeah. Ugh! Gross just looks like a really malnourished dog very much so which is probably the case <laughs> but creepy 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 like that's just that just looks like a dog to me
0: yeah that one's kind of kind of cute it's not nearly as ugly as the
1: but it one. would be really i'd be pissed off if i came outside and all of my livestock was drained of its blood well yeah that's an expensive loss for sure right. you'd also be terrified
0: Well, we would like to get your opinions. We have a couple more episodes and then we're gonna take a little hiatus for the holidays um, because we have to do all that Thanksgiving decorating we talked about. Um, Just kind of take a little time, regroup, and figure out what we want season two to look like. So if you follow us on our socials, which would be Facebook at Monsters and Mixers Pod, on Twitter at Monsters and Mixers, on Instagram at Monsters and Mixers Podcast, um message us let us know do you like when we switch back and forth on our episodes when i do a paranormal and emma does her true crime do you like when we do like we did today where we brought it back kind of like to the beginning where we split it up and we each kind of read a little bit here and there um do you want more paranormal do you want more true crime right so what,
1: what do you prefer
0: we know you have opinions so just tell us what they are uh, we're going to work on some stuff And we're going to be, we're not, just because we're not recording doesn't mean we're not going to be working on stories. We're just Mm going to try and figure out what our next steps are going to be. And if
1: there are any lesser known true crime stories that you would like me to cover, please send them to me. I'm trying not to, no, I've done like Scott Peterson and all of those Mm -hmm. because those are the big kahunas. But if there are some lesser known ones, I want to start, I think next season I'm going to do some more missing people too. Because I want to kind of help in that way. Absolutely. Absolutely. So
0: thanks for listening to our podcast, Monsters and Mixers.
1: I already mentioned our social media things you can like and follow us on. You can also like and follow us on your preferred listening uh, platform. Leave us a five-star rating. That helps us out a lot. Um, Get you some merch and send us those stories via email at monstersandmixers2 at gmail.com or at one of the socials mentioned. See you next time when we dive into another
0: terrifying tale and concoct a new delicious drink to wash down the horror. Now get out there and meet some ghosts.
1: And make some toasts.